and welcome to another episode of Talk Gopher Buckets. I'm Luke Buer. This is Ryan James from uh, Gopher Illustrated and Prep Hoops. All right, Ryan. Uh, here we are. We're through. I just hold on. We're we're through the gauntlet. Okay, uh, a, a nine game or seven or nine or eight or nine game stretch. You you coined the gauntlet well before the season started, and I have heard other major media outlets here in the Twin Cities call it the gauntlet, and no one gave you credit. Are you mad? <laughs> I never thought of it that way. Hey. Should I, how do you get royalties on things? Should I don't I start doing that. I don't. I don't know. But I'm telling you, man. I heard. I heard Barrero talk about it this morning. Uh, I heard Mike Grimm talk about it the other day. Like nobody took. Nobody gave you credit. I. I feel like that's disingenuous. But maybe. Maybe it was just so obvious that it was the gauntlet that nobody knew you said it. I don't know. I'll give them the benefit of the doubt for now. Maybe it's my terrible grammar or my <laughs> terrible sentence structure that gets them so mad they refuse to say my name. Probably it. I I don't know, man. Okay, let's let's look back at the gauntlet. It it, it started um, December uh, December fifteenth against Illinois, and it couldn't have started any worse, Ryan. It was a ninety two sixty five loss at Illinois, who at the time was ranked number thirteen in the country, um, and and it was basically a just an utter beatdown. And if we look at this entire gauntlet, you know, there are four losses in, in the entire stretch. Um, and that probably was the worst game, right? Um, by far their worst game. And I think everybody, everybody's expectations after that loss at, at, at Illinois was, oh man, can they win a ball game in this stretch? Like even the St. Louis game, who St. Louis is super good and is a borderline top 25 team. They weren't ranked at the time, but seriously, could they win a game? And here we are. They came out of it. What is it? Five and four in that in that stretch. Um, kudos to them. But man, I, I what were your thoughts after that Illinois game? I think the best way to describe my thoughts after that Illinois game were like I did. Okay, so I got a little heat for not picking Minnesota. Like somebody was complaining that you know I didn't pick them to beat Michigan this weekend, and I totally went against all my theories and all of everything that I had been talking about just on the gut feel that Michigan was looking so good and the Gophers were looking so bad. Now I'll tell you this in a little bit of defense. If I knew that Eli Brooks wasn't playing, I would not have picked Michigan to win that game. Really? And back to the original point. You really? Oh, yeah. Really? Eli, yeah. I mean, he's good. Yeah, like, Eli, don't, don't get me wrong. He's very, very good. I, I, I mean, I don't know that I would, I think, I think I still would have picked Michigan, but that's just me. I wouldn't have because he's their number one defensive stopper. Yeah. And then you take him, they're not a deep team. And you take their number one defensive, like, how about this, Luke? You take Gabe Kelcher off the Minnesota Gophers. Would, would you go in the, in the Rutgers and expect them to be Rutgers? No, I don't, I don't know how many teams that I'd pick the Gophers to beat without Gabe Kelcher. Exactly. So, like, that's my thought process. It would have sure. been my thought process with Michigan here. But, like, going back on this, I got a little heat for, like, you've only picked them to win a couple of these games. Well, nobody should have picked them to beat St. Louis. And nobody should mm-hmm. have picked them to beat Iowa. They hadn't earned anybody's trust mm-hmm. to beat teams of that caliber at that point. That's how bad that Illinois game was. That Illinois game was one of the most selfish, like, lack of effort outings I have ever seen. Yes. And that is why I give – I'm going to tip the scale a little bit to Coach Patino but also give a lot of equal shares to the members of a veteran basketball team, which the Gophers are. 
They may not be veterans mm-hmm. together, mm-hmm. but they're a veteran basketball team. They turned that thing around against St. Louis and turned it around against Iowa and turned it around against the Michigan State in a massive way to the point where now, like, expect this team to be a five seed or a four seed. Yeah. They've, you know, at worst, a six seed in the Big Ten tournament right now. Mm-hmm. And that's how quickly they turned it around. And, you know, Marcus Carr's ability to start moving the basketball more, yes, they, you know, Dan Dockett speaks to everybody about his shot selection sometimes, but like, you know, his ability to turn things around, the way he played around, the way that team, the whole Gopher team has decided to, you know, work together and play hard defending is, you know, it's a big, it's a big credit to, to what they've done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they, so they take from that Illinois game, they jump in at St. Louis, they get a big win against St. Louis, who St. Louis is a good, good, good basketball team. Let's not just, this is the fact that they're not a, they're not a power five um, or a group of five team, right? But they're very good. They're a fringe top 25 team. The Gophers get an eight, get a 90, 82 win. Um, and, and I don't think anybody expected that victory um, maybe, you know, it was maybe a little closer than we would have expected. Um, but I don't think anybody saw, especially after that Illinois game, this, this turning into a W and man, what a, what a gift it was. Cause they needed some confidence. Carr went for 32 in that game. Um, and what a bounce back from that Illinois game here in this, uh, in the first two games of the gauntlet going one and one. The St. Louis game, the Bills. The, the the Larry Hughes Billikens, <laughs> I love the Billikens. Jordaire yeah. Chet, former Saint Ber- Saint Bernard, yeah, and Saint Agnes guard that played for Saint Louis. Um, yeah, like that, that when that we came into that game, that was one that you could not pick Minnesota to win. No, they hadn't earned your trust to do that yet, and they but they did. And once that game came along. They did compete tougher. They did move the ball, and they did find a formula that has shown Minnesota how to beat teams in the impenetrable, well, you know, well-constructed fortress that is Williams Arena. Luke, I tried to find a tweet of the best fortresses in the history of the world, <laughs> and I wanted to, but I never, I couldn't, I didn't recognize any of them, so I couldn't use it. And like, if you don't recognize them, you better not say anything because. Who knows what those regimes are about? So, right. but yes, that's that's what Williams Arena has become. Like Williams Arena is the great fortress, and going on the road, you know, they're you know, is exactly the opposite. Yeah. Okay, so then we travel from there. We go um, to Christmas Day, one game you were not looking forward to given the day and the time against Iowa and the Gophers pull out a 102-95 victory, right? Um, Carr went for 30 in that game. Brandon Johnson went ridiculous, something like seven or eight threes, right? Only missing one. Um, He otherwise has not shot the three particularly well, Um, but a big victory for the Gophers. Uh, Iowa at the time was ranked number four, and it started a, let's see, this one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, game stretch against ranked opponents, right? Uh, and they came out with a victory against Iowa. The Brandon Johnson performance was actually 8 of 9 from the arc, and it was tied an all-time gopher record for mm-hmm. most threes hit in the game, and it also is the most efficient three-point shooting performance in the history of Golden Gopher basketball. <laughs> you have to have, yeah, you had to have for like 6 or 7 attempts or more, yeah. it was the most efficient one. Now, you're right. Brandon Johnson has made one three the rest of the Big Ten play. Right. He's like one for 12 the rest of the Big Ten play. But Brandon Johnson is playing very good basketball. Yes. That game may not have propelled him 
to be the next, uh, you know, be the next uh, David Grimm. Um, I'm trying to throw some names out there who are taller and they can shoot. He's not, you know, that game may not have propelled him to be the next Quincy Lewis, but it has pushed him ahead, and he's, Brandon Johnson has become a very dependable defender. He's going to become a much, much better rebounder, and he's mm-hmm. scoring four buckets a game. You know, and it's his four or five buckets a game are needed with the way that Booth Kelsher, Booth Kelsher, Booth Gosh and Gabe Kelsher have, you know, where they're shooting is, where they're shooting is at right now. Yeah, and, and let's keep in mind, too, um, one of the things from last season's team that we said needed to improve was they needed to get better rebounding from the four position, and he's absolutely brought that. Um, he or Liam Robbins or Isaiah Enan is usually leading the team in rebounding, but consistently it's been Johnson of late, um, and he's he's clearing the boards, which they really needed him to do. Okay, so let's, let's transition to the 28th of December. Uh, the Gophers host, at the time, 17th-ranked Michigan State, and absolutely – and absolutely stomp them 80, 81 to 56. It wasn't close at all ever in that game. It felt like, um, this was a game car went for 19 in that game. Um, I mean, all in all, it, I, I did not see that beat down coming. Did you? I didn't see that beat down coming. I barely noticed that Joey Hauser was even playing. Yeah. Um, they Michigan state could not deal with Liam Robbins. They looked awful. Michigan State's fan base completely, you know, has turned on them. That turned on them telling them how horrible they were. You know, since that game, you know, they've done better. You know, they beat Rutgers and they beat Nebraska mm-hmm. and they had a one point game at Purdue. So I mean I think I you know, Michigan State is eight and four with only two Big Ten wins right now. I mean there's they're gonna grow and become better. But Minnesota got them at the right time. It was a lone matchup for the teams this season. They absolutely pounded them mm-hmm. in an embarrassing way, a way that you just don't see from Tom Izzo's team. So at this point, you've got you know you're two and two in the Big Ten, right? Um, or I'm sorry, you're you're one and two in the Big Ten, and you just beat a really good St. Louis team. So you had three game winning streak, um, and you head into Madison on uh, New Year's Eve uh, against the number six Wisconsin Badgers. And I think I think for the most part, Gopher fans were actually quite confident going into this game um, that they could play with this team, etc. And the Gophers lose seventy one fifty nine. Kalsher leads them with fifteen points and this really became kind of to me this is where Carr gets very exposed Um, I know we'll talk about this in in more detail um, but man they hedged him super hard we talked about this on our most recent episode of the podcast and kudos to Wisconsin they they found a way to lock down Carr who basically led the Gophers in scoring in every game with the exception of the um, with 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 the exception of the Missouri Kansas City game um, where Robbins led the team in scoring. This was the first instance where he was basically neutralized to the point where it was like, whoa, what happened? I think that game was very important for the rest of the Gophers season because I think it was a very telling, eye-opening situation, a telling opening, you know, it was, it was very clear that you cannot, just rely on Marcus Carr yes. exclusively if you play a good team that knows how to defend because they hedged hard. They sent two at times. He had a lot of trouble creating any type of offense and the rest of the team basically froze. Yeah. And 
as as games came after that, you know, there was more ball movement. There was more activity. Good, good, goodness. Last night against Michigan, they had back to back ball, you know, basket cuts. Mm-hmm. We're seeing basket cuts again. Yeah. But a lot of these things that have stepped forward came from that Wisconsin game because it, it was an eye opening situation of man, we can't just run a ball screen with Marcus Carr and then expect offense all the time. We have to think, you know, other guys have to be active. Other guys have to be involved. Marcus has to, instead of using a ball screen every time, you know what, you come off the floor, you make an entry, you make a post post entry, excuse me, a wing entry at a good spot in the wing and you run some damn offense. Mm -hmm. And I think that was the game. It was clear. Now, obviously, there, there was more struggles on the road after that. And the seventy-one fifty-nine game, it's kind of interesting. Like that game was actually reasonably close at halftime. That was ugly, ugly basketball in the first half. And then yeah. Wisconsin blew blew their doors off and got the lead into the mid twenties. And then you know Minnesota had a nice late charge, and then guard took his team, his players, his regulars out. And then the Gophers got a little bit more after that. Was it a twelve point game? It was at times closer and at times worse than that, actually. Yeah, it, it, re- it really wasn't indicative of what a spread there really was, it being 71-59. I just want to look at that car stat line just real quick in this game again. Um, it, you know, I, I don't think uh, you mentioned this to me um, previously that, you know, we, we do have to talk about Marcus Carr and his shooting and it comes, some of it comes down to shot selection. Um, but in this game against Wisconsin, he was three of 13, two for eight from three. Um, you know, he still had seven assists. He does share the ball pretty well, but when you have the ball in your hands all the time, like assists are going to come because the ball didn't in this game in particular didn't move. Right. Um, but yeah, this, this kind of started a stretch where he, he struggles more. Um, he struggles with those hedges and, and then, you know, the Gophers, as, as we know, and as we've seen games progress, um, have found ways to combat this, uh, hard hedge. Um, but yeah, this, this was a very much a struggle and kind of a, a tipping point for them. So then you go into, you know, Sunday, or yeah, Sunday, January 3rd against Ohio State, a 77-60 victory against the 25-ranked Buckeyes. This this one, to me, was probably the most surprising of all of the wins. I have the utmost respect for Ohio State and, uh, and Holtman, their head coach. Um, I didn't see this coming, and this this 17 point victory was was really not even that close. Um, this was a massive game for uh, a, a massive game for Liam Robbins. He led them in points with 27, rebounds with 14, and assists with four. Um, he was an absolute beast against Ohio State. Um, again, this was this was obvious that they were going to be making a. a an emphasis on getting him the basketball um, and basically daring Ohio state to stop him, And they just really couldn't. Ohio state did not have the size up right, front right. to deal with him whatsoever. And not only did Liam have massive numbers, Lee, I mean, Liam was, tw- he, he had uh, tw- 27 to 14. It was five blocks, but he absolutely limited EJ Liddell to three of 11 shooting. Like they, he completely, he was too big. Liam was too big. He kept he moved he kept in front of EJ Liddell, mm-hmm. and you know everything had to go over the top of him. They just it, there was nothing there. Like mm-hmm. when when Liam Robbins has played shorter players in the Big Ten, when the team hasn't had a true center, he's crushed them. Mm-hmm. And this was and then this was one of those games. Like Michigan State, they don't have a big to guard him. 
he hammered them. You know, and if you look up and down, if you look at some in St. Louis, you know, St. Louis had Hassan French who was good, but he didn't have a he didn't have a huge game. Right. He had 12 points and only five rebounds. Whereas, you know, Liam didn't have a massive game, but Liam was the big part of that game was that Liam was so important blocking shots and contesting shots. Mm-hmm. You know, if you don't have a big to deal with Liam Robbins and his teammates are doing a good job getting him basketball, his little shoulder turned into a nice little touch. It's hard to beat. Now you you take a game like you know Michigan who has a big to throw up against throw up against them, or or Iowa who has a big to throw up against them. You know he Liam still has had his moments against those players. Mm-hmm. Obviously yesterday he had his moments against Hunter Dickinson, mm-hmm. but those players make Liam a little bit more uncomfortable. His shoulder turns into a bucket are rushed at times because he's trying to get the shot off before the contesting hand is there. You know, those there, then but then sometimes he's like yesterday, he's been out of shot threes. <laughs> but mm-hmm. you know, like when you, if you have a Michigan State or Ohio State who don't have a big that can deal with him, then they have problems. And guess what? You got teams coming up that aren't that big yep. that they're playing. You know, the non ranked herd, the non ranked herd on this business stretch that's coming up, they a lot of these teams don't have the size, the talented size to deal with them. So I would expect. Liam Robbins to have some, you know, also have some very big games. Yeah, I, I do want to. I, I want to keep emphasizing this, um, and I'm not trying to bash Marcus Carr, but I think there's this perception that he's been a world beater, and quite frankly, he's not. Um, he's not been, especially in the Big Ten. So just from shooting numbers from this game against Ohio State, he's three for twelve. He's one for three from three. He's eight from eleven from the line. So that's where he feasts. Like, and he got 15 points. But from an efficiency standpoint, he's not been terrible. He, he this kind of starts his stretch of not being terribly efficient as a basketball player. Um, and where he needs to kind of change his philosophy and, you know, as annoying as Dan Dockage is, he, Dan Dockage is spot on. He's got to just take what the defense give to him and not force stuff. Uh, and this was just an example again against Ohio state, even though the Gophers win big, he's not efficient. And, um, and, and there's just improvement that can be made there. And if he wants to play in the NBA, which we all know he does, that efficiency has got to get better. Well, right now at this point, He's taken 120 shots in the Big Ten. Yeah. He is one make above being a, a 33, making a third of his shots in Big Ten play. Yeah. He is right now 41 of 120 from the field in Big Ten play. That's not good. No. And that is why Dan Dockage says what he says. Now, the way the ball has to go through Marcus Carr, you cannot sit here and expect him. To have a, he's not going to be a 46% scorer for this team. There are too many times where he has to create offense for this team mm-hmm. that leads to, you know, that it leads to spots where he's going to, the shooting percentage is going to be great. But he also has to do better. And like, that's why, that's one of the main, when they play these next group of teams, I am so interested to see how Marcus Carr comes out. Yep. Is he going to come out and be uber aggressive? Because and, and or is he going to be more aggressive after the ball moves? Mm-hmm. Because these are the games where I think Marcus Carr can be absolutely deadly on a return pass. Because mm-hmm. these teams aren't going to be able to. A lot of these teams can't guard him, but I think a lot of these teams coming up won't be able to guard him at all. Mm-hmm. And therefore, like if he gets you know a reversal and, and Liam Robin comes up to set a screen and he's attacking middle 
off of, off after a reversal, dude, they're not stopping that. And there's so many situations yeah. in that way. Three point wise, I think Marcus Carr is a really good three point shooter. Yeah. I, he, he, but at the same time, you yeah. know, we have to we we have to shoot. You know, they have to be smarter threes at times. Yeah, I, I think it boils down to he has to make better decisions. Uh, it doesn't always reflect in the the traditional statistics, right? When you think of a point guard, you often go, "Okay, assist to turnovers." That's going to tell us how well how well a point guard's playing. That's not always the case, especially with a ball dominant point guard like this. It's putting up usually the majority of your shots. It comes down to a matter of efficiency, in my opinion, which he's not been terribly efficient here of late. Um, I do. It, he does a very good job of getting to the free throw line, which he, we, he does need to be commended on there. Um, but yeah, he's got to be more efficient. It's just it's just plain and simple. Um, but the, the other thing is one thing that concerns me about this business stretch that you you've coined already. You've already. I love how you've already coined this um, as as like a stretch of games. I just hope they don't revert, right? Uh, they've they've kind of they've had highs and lows and you know moving the basketball, but I hope they improve on this rather than okay, we're just going to depend on Marcus Carr and he's just going to he's just going to go get buckets for us and occasionally we'll dump it into Liam. Like I want to see efficient basketball. I want to see the ball move. I want to see them become and gel more as we go into this business stretch and not revert, right? Because I think they can get they might be able to get away with it. That's what I hope they don't do. You know what's crazy, Luke? Yeah, I agree with you, but yeah. I'm gonna say this: we have no experience about with what, what they're about to what, what they're with what they're about to think. They will play next Saturday against Maryland, yeah. January 23rd. Do you know how many high major basketball teams they've played this year that haven't at some point been ranked this year? Yeah, I mean one listen. Boston College and yeah. like none in the Big Ten. They are. What are they in the Big Ten? They are now four and four in the Big Ten. Yeah. Every team they've played has been ranked. Yeah. Every last one of them. And so it'll be. I, I mean, this is why I coined it the big business stretch because this is business. This is what you take care of. You like Luke. You're going to go be an engineer tomorrow. I got to go be a special education teacher for a little bit, a yep. little bit longer. We are going to go in and we're going to do our thing. We're going to take care of our business. This is no longer a bunch of ranked basketball teams that you, you know, you hope to beat or you could better compete and get up for. They are now playing a bunch of teams that they should beat. Mm-hmm. These are teams that they should beat. You yeah. know, even Purdue. I Purdue's gonna be tough on the road, but I think they're going to be. They should probably beat Purdue on the road. And like this is where it comes down to business. You go take care of the business you're supposed to, and. We don't have any examples of that yet, which is so weird because it's going to be January 23rd when they play their first Big Ten team that's not ranked. Yeah, I, you know, it's interesting you bring that up. Um, I know it's hard It's hard to find, um, you know, a comparison uh, for this, but, you know, early in the season, this is a very new group, right? They played Green Bay, Loyola Marymount, Loyola Marymount, uh, North Dakota, and frankly speaking, it, it, you can even throw Boston College in there. Frankly speaking, they played down to those guys' level. I know it's early and it's they, I know, I know it's yes, a big group, but they played down to their level. And now, when there weren't expectations, they they played a lot better at times. I, I, again, they played pretty terrible on the road. We haven't even really gotten to that yet. Um, they played terrible on the road, but 
they've they've played down to down to their expectations. I think the thing that they need to do now is learn to play with expectations that they're supposed to win ball games, not play down to the level, and then we got to prove that this defense can travel because right now this defense hasn't traveled. The one thing in basketball that I would always say can travel is defense, and we haven't seen it quite yet. Oh, they gave up ninety two to Illinois. Yeah, eighty six at at Iowa. Yeah, eighty two at Michigan. You know, Wisconsin had 71 after an absolutely abysmal first half of Wisconsin. So basically, the Gophers have had one good half of eight defensively on the road this year. They, yeah. I mean, I guess that's the next goal. When they go to Purdue, <laughs> at least one good half of D. Yeah. Preferably the second half, I suppose, if you're, you know, if you really want to pick one. Yeah, let's close out this gauntlet, though. You know, they get killed on the road against Michigan. Um that game wasn't close. Oh, that's not entirely true. It was close somewhat at halftime. Uh, the Gophers were down 26-32, and I thought they played terrible. That was some of the better defense I'd seen um, out of a team all season in Michigan put on in that first half. Then they just get absolutely just blitzed in the second half. Um, statistically speaking, I'll go back to Carr. In this game in particular, he's 5 of 16, 2 for 7 from 3. He only gets to the line twice, um, and then he only had 2 assists. The team as a whole only had 6 assists on the game. Um, just just an all-around terrible performance. Hunter Dickinson looks like he should be the first pick in the draft. He was so efficient. <laughs> like He was 12 of 15 and 4 for 4 from the line. Like You, you really couldn't get much better than that. Um, I don't know if he has the athleticism uh, or the ceiling to be the first pick in the draft, but you know what I'm saying. Uh, they, got, they just got blitzed by Michigan on the road. They did, and I know there's people listening right now that are frustrated that Marcus Card's team name keeps coming up, but what people have to understand is, like, the way that this offense is and the way that the ball goes through him at all times, basically when he plays pretty well and the ball's moving to good spots, they win. If they, if it doesn't, they, they, they lose. You know, like, one thing that I always – I've always talked about Ricky Rubio – you know, not not this current Timberwolf, Ricky Rubio, who I can't even really watch much at, at all. Yeah. But, like, of the past, like, the thing I loved about him is he got players easy baskets. Mm-hmm. And, like, when guys were struggling, you know, they were they would get easy baskets. Well, unfortunately, the Big Ten is hard to get easy baskets. Like, Booth Gotch needs some easy baskets more than any player on the planet right now. Gabe Kelser has needed some easier baskets than any player. Like, the, 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 he's needed some easy baskets. There's not many easy baskets that are created by this team. There's open threes created, you know, but there's, it, it, you know, it's hard to get transition going in the Big Ten. It's just not easy. Mm-hmm. It, it's very difficult because yeah. the Big Ten's the Big Ten. So, like, you, but the offense does when it's so much is funneled through one guy attacking, jump shooting, or passing off the screen and roll, there's just not enough easy baskets for guys. Mm-hmm. They, they, you don't. You don't see sets that are called, and all of a sudden the guy's coming off a baseline screen and he catches and scores a layup. Yep. Now, I know it's hard in the Big Ten, but you just don't see it happen. Mm-hmm. And that is my front. So that is why, like, you could talk about how a guy's struggling to hit threes, but we can't pin too much on some of these other guys because they only shoot the ball five times a game or six times a game yeah. in a lot of cases. You know, they don't get that many chances to get easy baskets. Because everything is going through Marcus Carr and off in the center, and then threes. And so because there's not that many easy baskets, it's hard for a struggling guy 
to keep to get going. And so therefore we we come back to Marcus Carr and the way he plays for better or worse for a lot of reasons. Like it's kind of like a quarterback situation. Yep. You know the quarterbacks yeah, the quarterbacks get all the attention and good or bad. Well, everything goes through market. Yeah. No, you you I'm with you 100%. Um but let's jump to let's jump to the game against Iowa, uh, a, a 71 to 68 loss to Iowa on the road. Um let's just look at this one. You know, the Gophers were down early. Uh they had a 7 point they, they were down 7 points uh, at one point in the first half. Uh got it back to within 2 and you kind of thought, "You know what?" Minnesota might might be might have something here, but again, they just get absolutely blitzed in the second half. Um, they did get it back to within, I, I believe they got it back to within seven with about two minutes left in the game, but just couldn't close the game out. Um, again, it's it's really hard to get down big in basketball and fight your way back. It's very very challenging um, to expend all that energy and get over the hump. Um, but again, this is a game where. Uh, I hate to belabor the point. Um, Carr, not particularly great. He was all right. Um, f- five for 19, three of 11 from three, um, only 13 points. Um, but, yeah, this is, this is again, um, the Gophers did move the ball a little bit better. They had 15 assists. Uh, but, but at the end, they played 30 minutes of good basketball and about 10 or maybe 32 minutes of good basketball and about eight of bad basketball, right? Um, and this has been the consistent trend. They got to be consistent on the road, and they've just not been able to do that so far in this, in this gauntlet stretch. The one thing I look to from this game, and yes, there were struggles, but we had seen so much for struggles in the previous three games that I came into the game looking at Minnesota to take a step forward. And that step forward was to be competitive more in the second half than they were in those previous games against Wisconsin, Michigan. And in my opinion, they took a step forward. Yeah. Five minutes to go, it was a five score. It was a five point game with two minutes to go two two twenty, It was a seven point game to me. I don't care that it was a 15 point game in the end. It was a close game down. It was a closer game down the stretch, and right. that was very important. That means they took a step forward. Now, fans don't want to hear that. All fans want to hear is win loss, like they mm-hmm. or or look at the final score. Well, I'm sorry, but they, that Wisconsin game was not as close as the final score says. Yeah. But the Michigan the Iowa game, what you know, neither, but the, and the Iowa score game was closer than the final score says as well. Like they did take a step forward in that game. And if you don't want to give me that, you have to at least give me it was a half step forward. Mm-hmm. So they, t- they 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 did take a half step forward, which and then, and then they came out here and beat Michigan. So that half step helped, and now it has to help you know against Maryland and then at Purdue and Rutgers. Mm-hmm. But now I, it was a half step forward. Now the 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 front the the sad part about it is for if you're looking at it from a Gopher perspective, is that Bohannon had struggled. Yes. For most of his career against Minnesota. Now, the last two games in Iowa City, he has not struggled. But, like, think to the Christmas Day game. He was terrible and got replaced late mm-hmm. in the game. You know, in past games, like, like he wanted to run and hide against George, uh, Nate Mason. You know, it, it was, he was brutal. Mm-hmm. So, it's a situation. And, and this time, he was he severely outplayed Marcus Carr and Jamal Mashburn. Mm-hmm. So, that was a key that game and of course Rupert Reiser who's you know the best player in college basketball yeah 
Okay, let's talk a little bit about this Michigan game. We've kind of intermixed it a little bit here, but the victory um, on on Saturday, uh, 57-75 for the Gophers. Um, I did think that Carr played better in this game than he has in in recent stretch. Um, His numbers... You know, his numbers kind of show that eight of 16. If you take away all the bad threes, especially early, it's not a terrible stat line. It's not great, but eight of 16. Um, you know, he had six assists, uh, but you know, he six of 18. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what I said. Six of 18, all five from three. Um, but yeah, he six of 18, you, you know. I thought he played better. I thought he moved the ball a little bit better. I thought he wasn't settling as much, especially in the second half, but he did settle a lot early in the first half, that's for sure. And that is when Dan Dockett <laughs> let everybody know his displeasure yeah. of the way thing, things were going. You know, to me, I, I was a little surprised that it was that much of a runaway at times. Yeah. Um, like, Michigan was not going to go undefeated. They were going to lose, and it was the perfect storm losing one of their key players, especially their best defensive player. Mm-hmm. Like, seeing that, when I heard that, I felt like, okay, that's going to be the change. And Minnesota is playing so damn well at home, they're going to, like, Michigan won't be able to overcome that. Mm-hmm. Um, there were some things that, I mean, I didn't expect Liam Robbins just to, you know, come back here and all play Dickinson and like change no. the game with his three. Like no. that was, you know, like the way he changed the game, shooting the basketball was, you know, it was crucial. How about you know, Jamal Mashburn had some very important plays in the second half, creating yes. shots for others. Eric Curry, you know, they weren't getting much offense in the first half, but Eric Curry walked on the floor when Liam had two fouls. Oh, we've got to get to that in a second. Don't let me forget that. That's a venting point right there. But Eric Curry, like, he had the two jumpers that he jumped over the top and stole the ball when he was fronting Dickinson. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he played well. Brandon Johnson, another just solid, solid game. He had, you know, limited lead, Isaiah Livers in scoring, and then Gabe Kelsher, just an, a rock star defensive performance, holding Franz Wagner. Undefeated, you know, undefeated. Scoreless in the first half and to only eight points. But Luke, I was so angry at that first whistle by the referee. <laughs> I, I was as pissed off as I've been on a first possession in my life. Yeah, because it... you cannot. You know, this is the Big Ten. You cannot set the precedent that a shoulder dipping, a shoulder dipping, yeah. is going to be an automatic foul. Yeah. They had to call that. Four to five more times because they set the stupidest precedent of all time. Right. And like, like Dickinson got one the next time down the floor, no, I know. and they had to call it because this little moron of a of official decided that he wanted to be mad because there was too much contact in the post, and he stepped forward with three steps and he gave that offensive foul call like he was goddamn Stone Cold Steve Austin in the ring and wanted everybody to know who he was. And like, then all of a sudden, then all of a sudden, we got offensive fouls happening all over the court, and nobody can touch each other. It was the stupidest call I've seen in so long because it set a horrible precedent. Oh my god! And thank goodness it didn't. Like these teams recovered, and oh, it sets up in a perfect position. Richard Pitino, like I loved how he subbed Liam Robbins the rest of that first half. It was perfect. Such perfect offense, defense. Mm-hmm. Robbins stayed involved. Curry played well. 
well done in that situation. Okay, bent, done. <laughs> okay, I, I do want to I do want to bring up one point. Um, th- th- this on Kelsher, I think that one thing that is underlooked um, in this game, uh, Franz Wagner has like a five inch advantage on him, right? Like, oh yeah. I think I think Wagner. I think they list him at like six nine. He is. I, I don't know. He looks bigger than that to me, and he is absolutely put together. Um, like, yeah, they, so they list him at 6'9". You know, Kalsher, what they list at 6'5". Um, you know, there, there's a major height discrepancy there, but that just speaks to the versatility as a wing defender that Gabe Kalsher can be. Um, you know, he to me, I think that Patino's right. I think he's the best perimeter defender there is in the league. I, I Oh, no question. Yeah, I, I don't know that there's anybody better. And, you know, we can we can throw Ryan Burns under the bus one more time, but you know, he he's trying to he's trying to hide behind this hide behind this hole that, you know, that Gabe just needs to shoot less. He was advocating that Gabe shouldn't sh- shouldn't be playing, which was ridiculous at first. I can go back and I can screenshot it if I have to. Um, but at the end of the day, <laughs> but, but at the end of the day, all of Gopher Illustrated <laughs> wants to see this screenshot. <laughs> okay. And we have Dude, you're setting this up for like me to be between the two of you on a talk over buckets with Ryan Burns again. I love it. I should I should mention that we're actually quite good about this, but this is the one thing that we we disagree on um, vehemently. We are we are still very good. There's nothing between us. We're not mad at each other. It's just a bit, okay. Maybe that was the. Maybe I shouldn't have mentioned that it's just a bit, but it's kind of a bit, kind of a truth, <laughs> kind of a truth. Um, but at the end of the day, like the the intangibles that Kalsher brings, um, he's the kind of player that you cannot quantify completely through metrics, right? Because you can't you can't microanalyze defense as much as they're trying to with analytics. You just you can't encompass what that is because the fact that he can go from a Franz Franz Wagner down to you know. Uh, Asumu from Illinois, right? He he can pretty much guard, and he can pretty much guard one through four in the Big Ten almost, and 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 limit them. Now I'm not now I'm not trying to say like Wagner is kind of the exception because he really plays on the wing and could be a four, but like he is special defensively, and that's why he played as a freshman because he is special defensively. Exactly, and like the all defensive team talk, it's. If he doesn't get it, like as long as he maintains what he's doing, that's an all Big Ten team defender. Now, there's some size that's going to automatically get on there, and I, I, I understand that because a bit of a shot blocker can change the approach of an offense. But Liam yeah. Robbins is the best shot blocker in the Big Ten right now, and he don't belong on that all Big Ten team above no. Gabe. And I'm going to tell you this either, and I'm going to tell you this too. And people can get mad at me for all this they want. Gabe Kelser belonged in the All-Big Ten defensive team last year more than Daniel Oturo did. Yes. Daniel Oturo's defense of a ball screens last year at times was absolutely abysmal. Like, Gabe was the better defender, and Gabe just belongs in this thing. Now, who is he better than? A lot of people throughout, you know, and rightfully so, Eli Brooks, Jamari Wheeler, Eric Hunter. Iowa people will throw out Connor McCaffrey at times. Um, Wisconsin people want to throw out Brad Davidson every time. You know, like, whatever. But none of those guys are as good as Gabe in terms of what they can defend. Mm-hmm. Gabe will go defend a 6-2 guard at times and then go defend a 6-9 Franz Wagner. Smarty Wheeler can't do that. Eli Brooks can't do that. Eric Hunter, maybe eventually could do that, but not right now. Um, this is, he's the best perimeter defender in the Big Ten, and as far as I'm concerned, 
there isn't Reggie Lynch shot blocker, so he is the best defensive player in the Big Ten. Mm-hmm. And therefore, that's why you played 34 minutes. Last night, I think it was last night, so these games run together. Sometimes, I think it was last night, like, uh, Trey, uh, Trey Williams came out of there, he had some problems. He actually gave, went right back on the floor, took care, took care of business. And the problems were more in health. That's where Gabe was mm-hmm. almost more valuable at times last night. His help was insanely good. Mm-hmm. Especially when you're doubling and you scramble, right? Um, it, like they were doing. This, is, this harkens back to a couple years ago when they would double, they, they would scramble, right? Well, they, they had the luxury of length with like an Amir coffee. They don't necessarily have it maybe as much now. Um, but the fact that they changed the way they double typically, I think really threw Dickinson off in this game. And you're right. Kalsher's help is phenomenal. And he, like, part of what deserves credit is Thorson at De La Salle. Those teams defensively have always, were always good. I mean, he, it just comes from if you play fun, good foundational defensive basketball from from the beginning, that translates so so well. And kudos to Thorson and that program that instilled that in a guy like Gabe. You want to know what's nuts? As I watched Gabe so many times in high school AAU, and never would I ever say that he was bad defensively because he wasn't. No, and he was solid. I'm like, but what he's doing now was not always super clear. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, he was never bad or anything. I'm not saying that. No. He was solid. But never did I watch a game and think, oh, my God, Gabe Kelser's going to show up at the University of Minnesota and be the best defensive basketball player I've seen in years. Mm-hmm. But that's what happened. And that's a lot of credit to him. Yeah, it is. I completely. I'm just saying that, like, you have that core foundation, and then you have an opportunity to kind of build an identity, and you buy into that, and he's done that, and he's run with it, and, you know, good for him. And now, if he can find a way to to start hitting shots consistently like he did as a freshman, look out. That guy might have a pro career, um, a very, very strong pro career. Because one of the things, and I'm not saying he's an NBA player when I say this, but when you listen to when you listen to people, especially executive managers and or general managers and whatnot, talk about guards, they need guys that can defend multiple positions. They need guys that can move their feet incredibly well and stay in front. Those guys are hard to find. There are a couple on this roster that could maybe cut it defensively in the NBA. That being, if if you can get a Booth Gotch to buy in, and then a, and and then a, a Gabe Kalisher, right? Um, those guys are hard to find, but you know you also have to be able to be incredibly efficient shooting the basketball too. Neither of which have been able to prove that this year so far. Luke, I have to go get my daughter from school or from basketball <laughs> practice in about a couple minutes here. But I want to finish off this podcast. I'm like taking a little bit of your producer role here, it's your host, and stealing it from you. I'm good. There's two things I got coming up are I got to evaluate Gopher recruits Trayton Thompson versus Kenny Photo. Mm-hmm. They played each other um, recently, and I'm getting that tape. Now I can tell you statistically, Kenny was three and seven from the floor, had seven points for Sunrise Christian with three boards in 24 minutes, while Trayton played 20 minutes had four turnovers, grabbed five boards, scored eight points, hit a three, and was three of five from the field. No, the guards don't let our, the big shoot much. Kendall, I mean, Kendall Brown, former East Coast player, he was 
uh, the leading scorer in the game. He only took 10 shots and had 15 points. That's what some of these prep school games are like. Like, there's mm-hmm. just, they're, you know, they don't play as long games as the Minnesota high school game, and there's a lot of talent, of course, so guys don't keep any shots. Mm-hmm. So that's, I'm going to go into deep, more detail on that. So look for that and go for Illustrated this week, everybody. And the second thing is GI midseason All Big Ten. Luke, pure. Where does Richard Patino fall in the Coach of the Year candidacy? Oh, he's got to be up there. Um, I'd give him top four for sure. Where do you give him? You know, it's going to be up there. Right now, it's hard to pick against. Because a lot of times when you're looking at Coach of the Year, you're looking at where things were predicted and Mm -hmm. where they ended. Mm-hmm. And if you're doing that right now, Juwan Howard is your winner. Mm-hmm. But, like, you know, so Wisconsin, Illinois, Iowa, they're kind of where you expected them to mm-hmm. be. Minnesota's a little bit higher than they're expected to be. Michigan is. So I would say right now you look at Juwan Howard and Richard Patino. And Richard Patino hasn't had the schedule that Juwan Howard had. So yeah. let's see how they do when Michigan's schedule gets a little tougher. Although they've got, they got, scheduling God to give them a complete hookup this year. Have a look have a look at that if you get a chance. Yeah. And Minnesota, you know, they it evens out here coming up. Last question before I gotta go get the eighth grader from private school basketball with <laughs> their whole seven players on their team over two and a half grades. Because they have a sixth grader playing with seventh and eighth grade just being with seven players. Um is Marcus Carr a first team all Big Ten player right now? Um right now no he's not I am in a situation. Okay, so we're Luke Garza for sure. Luke mm-hmm. Garza, Ao Dunsumu, mm-hmm. probably Dickinson from Michigan. Although you're Wagner at times has been, you know, the top guy as well. Yeah, one of those guys. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm forgetting somebody obvious. Oh, Ron Harper. Ron well, Harper I think Jr. I think Ron Harper, and I think um, from Indiana. Um, Oh, God. Trace, Jackson, Trace Davis. Jackson Davis. Yeah, he's also up there, in my opinion. In my opinion, he's there, too. The thing is, Indiana, you've got to come to the conclusion is you go with, with Trace Jackson Davis, who has is having an all-Big Ten season, but his team is not. Yeah. Or do you go with Marcus Carr, who has led his team to so many exceptional wins, but his shooting percentage in the Big Ten is coming down? Like, I think... I mean, I... Right now, I think I'd still give it to Marcus Carr for the way he's played and led them to four wins or ranked teams. Mm-hmm. And you have you know, a couple other good wins in there as well. And that's why they're in the top of the thing. But his grasp on a first spot, first team five, top five spot is slipping with his shooting percentages each game. Mm-hmm. And with his shooting percentages, that doesn't mean you just miss shots. That means the, shots are, the tough shots are being taken. Yeah. And they're struggling on the road. So, you know, I still give him that that spot. But, like, he used to be a guaranteed my third choice. Now he's probably slipped to fighting with, you know, probably fighting with Jackson Davis for that fifth spot yeah. to me. You know, and that's where that's at for, for me. So, okay. Okay. Oops. Yeah. Gotta go get the kid. Yeah, I get that. We want to thank everybody for listening. Um, Go Gophers.